hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Welcome everybody again to another fantastic show on the School of Marketing's The Places Will Go. We've got Andrea Vidler this morning who has had a meteoric career um, that we can all learn from and benefit from and, and continues a relatively uh, recent string of female CEOs. Um, if you think we've had Cheryl Calverley, we've had Lindsay Clay, uh, we've had Sophie Devonshire, we've had many, uh, Kate Rowlandson, just to name a few. Um, so which is, a, I, from my point of view, an extremely healthy uh, thread that we've picked up in the last few months. Uh, but to intro Andrea, many of you will know Andrea, um, of course, but let me do that. Uh, so Andrea is CEO of TAG for EMEA, which is a huge job. Uh, for those who don't know, TAG is an independent creative production partner for brands and agencies, basically helping brands produce great content across what is an ever more complex uh, multi-channel landscape. We'll get into a little bit more of that, but just the background that, that goes before that, uh, what an illustrious career that Andrea's had. Um, BBC, Capital Radio, Magic Radio, Bauer Media, so a very strong audio-visual thread. Um, then first CEO, I know first of three CEOs, uh, first CEO role at EMI Records, um, then CEO of Centaur for six years, and now CEO at TAG for two and a half years. So that's three meaty CEO roles. So we'll get some fantastic insights from that. In between times, there's lots of other things, including uh, being non-exec for Gamesys, which I can see the thread, but again, another different path, which will be very interesting to hear. Now, I was just saying to Andrea uh, before we got started that I bumped into Lindsay Clay, um, who was on the show just a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, and just to find out, just by chance, find I could find out a little bit more about, about Andrea through Lindsay's eyes. And um, it's, it was all good. We have to say that up front. So no need to, no need to panic here at all, Andrea. But um, this, is, this is what Lindsay said. Andrea and I met at Cambridge, uh, where we were in a performance group that called the Cools, Cambridge University Light Entertainment Society. Who knew? We used to go around putting on shows for elderly audiences in care homes who were too vulnerable to be able to escape. Wow. Uh, so, and but as therefore, dot, 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 Andrew does a mean box step. And I wouldn't be surprised if she still knows most of the words of the fruit and veg medley. Neither of those things mean too much to me, but it clearly meant something to you and Lindsay. And, and what, what a wonderful thing to be doing. But more broadly, Lindsay said, Andrew is a phenomenally successful and effective leader. Her record speaks for itself, but she's led a whole range of companies in good times and bad. She's charming and accessible, always exudes an air of calm authority, but with a hint of steel and sense of humour, never far from the surface. So, Andrea, it was a prolonged intro, but I think worthwhile. Very welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Um, and uh, thank you to Lindsay. She could have said a, far, uh, a few more uh, incriminating things, I think. Uh, so that was very good. Well, the first thing I've got to ask, Andrea, first of all, amazing to have you on. But secondly, do you still remember the fruit and veg medley? No, but I do remember Tits and Ass. Um, and a Nightingale sang on Barclay Square. 
Um, and and the box step, I can still do a, a absolutely mean box step. Okay, there we go. But look, um, getting getting into it. I mean, how are you doing at the moment? Like, what's happening in your world? Must be busy, busy, busy. All systems go. Yes. Um, uh, I joined TAG six weeks before lockdown. So I didn't get to meet everybody face to face and I didn't get to meet clients, many of them. I think I met two clients before we were all in lockdown. Um, but we've had an amazing two years at TAG. In fact, TAG was 50 last year and it was its best year ever. I think, I think as Mark said in his preamble, um, the, the world of production has exploded because of the complexities of digital ecosystems and how uh, marketeers need help in really ensuring they don't waste money, waste time, developing content that doesn't get used. The world is fairly local as well as global. Um, and therefore, production combined with tech development has really uh, risen up the agenda. And so, yeah, we're pretty busy. I can, I can well imagine. So um, you've, you've reached the sort of pinnacle point three times, in fact, um, a serial CEO. But let, let's go all the way back to the beginning and how you got started and BBC. I mean, what a fantastic place to start a career. But tell us how it all, all got going. Well, actually, I started in retail. I started as a graduate trainee in um, Jaeger um, because I thought a retail management course would teach me how to run a business because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, I look back on that graduate trainee scheme with um, delight and praise to Jaeger. I'm sorry, the, the business isn't what it once was. But it, um, it taught me a lot about motivating a team. Jaeger was filled with um, middle-aged mums that wanted discount um, on the clothes that they liked to buy. And they were the sales team. It wasn't full of great salespeople that were there to really sell, sell, sell. And um, you had to motivate them to make sure that that Regent Street store that once was looked amazing and that they really did know how to persuade people to uh, buy things, to make sure that the front door, uh, the front shop windows really were a door that people wanted to come into. And I think that basic training of how to motivate people and the, the things that go into running a business was an, an amazing grounding for me. Um, from there, I went into advertising. And from there, I had um, the privilege of working with the likes of people like Richard Heitner and Mark Lund and Adam Morgan and Ben Langdon. And um, I, I, I think I was enormously privileged to work with what were great brains in advertising at the time. Um, still Price Lintas was the agency, at the, uh, as it was called at that point. Um, it was an incredibly successful planning and creative agency, but it had huge businesses like Unilever that it had to look after. And again, I think I really learned the FMCG way of doing things, even though I worked on accounts like Transport for London and BT and Cellnet as it once was. So I think I did a lot of, in hindsight, I did retail training, which was broad general management training. 
Um, I also did training when I first went into an ad agency that was not a graduate scheme, but it was really good, solid training. And then I worked a lot with Ben in new business. And I we won Radio 5 Live and Radio 4. And um, on the back of that, um, I left, went from, I don't know if it was poacher to gamekeeper or gamekeeper to poacher, but I went and became the client and worked with Jenny Abramsky and Sue Far. I think, I think I was the first marketeer that Sue Far recruited. And the BBC was going through terrific change under both John Burt and Greg Dyke. Um, and I think Nurture or Nature, the people, I, I don't know whether some of that public service was in me and I didn't know it at the time, or whether um, the, the skills that the BBC taught me, I have ended up utilising really effectively. They, the BBC goes live. I mean, I worked with news a lot and until they literally go live, they are constantly improving a product. And having broadcast a product, a programme, they review it and they critique. And they're not, um, they're never embarrassed about recognising what more they could do. And I think that striving can, for continuous improvement, always um, that sort of public service humility of uh, we're not perfect and we can always do more for the British public, for the licence fee payer. Um, really, I either really fitted with it or actually it really helped evolve what I think I feel very comfortable with, um, which is very much about enabling teams to perform at their very best. You know, there's so many, so many wonderful things that you've just put forward there, Andrea. And, you know, the the thought of continuous improvements, even the small minutiae, as you say, a few seconds before you go live in front of millions of people, um, is just so important. And I often hear, interestingly, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Stephen Bartlett's podcast, but actually, if you listen to that quite a lot, he does talk about a similar thing where actually it's every minutiae detail is kind of, kind of put down to the T and always sort of evolving. But the other thing that I like to pick up on is the thought around retail, because I think you could have you sort of almost skipped through one major component that I think is really important here. I started in retail too, by the way, so I can really understand the importance of, um, of that grounding and foundation on so many different levels, both hard and soft skills. But actually getting in or getting out of retail and into the world of advertising is a pretty hard transition. Um, and there'll be a lot of people here listening and going, look, I'm at the start of my career and I really want to kind of do this and probably have a job in retail at the moment or, or, or the like, how do I then get into the, my, my next sort of phase where I get into a marketing or advertising role? Well, what do you think? Wow. Um, I think you have to keep talking to people and keep sending emails and keep asking people and uh, just keep trying. Um, I... I mean, it was a different world way back when I was, um, and I was, I was very lucky. I had, I think, three fabulous female role models. And the first one was a lady at Jaeger called Jane McCann. Um, I uh, did the um, retail training. I was drifting more and more towards um, marketing, marketing in the very broadest sense. So how do you really not because 
Jaeger didn't do advertising as such, but how do you use your database of clients to really maximize that? How do you really make sure that the other local shops, whether it be in Windsor or on Sloan Street or even on Regent Street, work together? So I was naturally drifting into not just managing the shop floor. And um, that was really intriguing me. I, I then got approached about a job in Gucci and accepted it. Um, I went on holiday to uh, the States. My boyfriend at the time was at Stanford University. And I took a month off in between the two jobs. When I came back, I had a letter on my doormat to say the job had gone. And the job had gone um, because uh, they changed the head office in London whilst I'd been on holiday for a month. Um, and that was, I guess, you've, you've prompted a memory I'd forgotten about. But that was, I guess, the first time I really thought, gosh, now what am I going to do? Uh, actually, at the time, I also split up with my long-term boyfriend in the same month. So I came back thinking, right, you've really got to get to grips. And the first thing I did was I spoke to my uh, role model, my old boss at Jaeger, who said, right, I want you to come back for six months on a contract with two weeks notice. I want you to manage all of the recruitment, the graduate training. Um, I want you to be based in the Selfridges store. I want you to help sort that particular area out and explore other jobs. In six months time, commit to us or you'll have found something else. And it taught me an enormous amount about loyalty. It taught me an enormous amount about, actually, I had a short time frame to not feel sorry for myself, but just get, pull my socks up and get going. And I went out of my way to talk to everybody I could about advertising, marketing, and um I, I spoke, ironically, I spoke to William Eccleshare at um, JWT. I spoke to other people and I loved Still Price Lintas at the time because it was the merger of Still Price and Lintas and they were all in free fall too. So uh, they were in a state of change. J JWT was very organized, very structured. And I thought if I'm going to catch up with my peers like Lindsay, who graduated and went straight into advertising, I need a more, a more slightly more chaotic environment so that I'm not just seen as entering the world of advertising in a particular year group. Um, and working for Ben Langdon, I think, for his strengths and weaknesses, uh, gave me an opportunity to fast track some amazing learning. I know lots of people didn't like working with Ben. I know some people think he's a bully. He taught me how to be more proactive. He taught me to think around corners. He taught me um, more about how not to manage people um, than I could have learned from any one other person. But he also really helped me strategically. Sandra, there's uh, that moment that you picked the letter up off the doormat. Must have been quite a moment. In, in a manner of speaking, I've been there myself in terms of a job that disappeared before I'd even started actually a graduate job. But there's a theme emerging here, 
which is that you, you, you dust yourself down, you carry on. Um, you know, you, you didn't talk with any woe about the fact that you landed your CEO job six weeks before the pandemic. Um, you, you've dealt with some characters, bullying or otherwise. Uh, and then you said something there about, I needed to catch up with my peers. So there's a drive there, <laughs> a steeliness, as Lindsay called it. Can you trace back where you think that originates from? Um, I think whether this is um, the general female imposter syndrome that everyone talks about, or whether this is something very deep rooted that I've never had a therapist help me unpick. Um, I think I am one of those people that use imposter syndrome to drive me. I believe I'm only as good as the last job I've done. Um, I never believe I am the person that is the brain. I believe I'm an enabler. Now, all of that is rooted in an insecurity, <laughs> um, a basic insecurity. I recognize that. But I think I've used that and I found a way that makes me feel really comfortable in that I am only as good as the team that I help enable. Um, which means I've never been confident enough to go and set up a business on my own, or I'm not the person that's likely to go out and be a business builder and entrepreneur because I, I enable others. And I think that's why I've been really good in the creative industries, whether it's music, whether it's radio, whether it's magazines, whether it's the broad entertainment world of BBC, whether it's advertising with creative egos or planners. Um, actually, I'm very happy being the person behind the scenes, pulling it all together, letting someone else take the credit. And I think because I am naturally like that, actually, I fitted very well in the creative industries because I, I let other people take the credit. I'm very happy to just be the person that organizes and makes it work. Um, and that's where I see my role. Um, I, I think that's the bit. It, so I've sort of the imposter syndrome, the personal insecurities about you're only as good as your last job is what it's all about, the drive. Um, and I think I, I love the combination of creativity and commerce. I love brilliant, great ideas. And I, I don't see them as being just advertising great ideas or marketing great ideas. Uh, they could be a design great idea. They could be a, you know, I, I, I just love that process. I mean, I think um, EMI, when I walked in, was um, so low. I mean, it was a creative business that had had all of the energy sucked out of it. It, it was, its shoulders were down. It, you know, sat in the corner almost with a shrug. And um, and I, I felt a real sense of responsibility to re-energise everybody in the business and to enable the artists, whether they were artists, mature artists like um, um, Pink Floyd and, you know, what Nick Mason wanted or whether it was Duran Duran or whether it was Tiny Temper or Emily Sande. They, these were their lives, you know, and you have to inspire the right video producer and director and the stylist in order to make these, this narrative of music come to life. And I really felt a massive responsibility there to get this business working 
in a way that not just re-energized it, but made it fit for the future because these creative talent was relying on it. And I think it was at the end of that journey that I really went, this is what I'm good at. Um, because EMI had so many, such a variety of brand challenges in that sense. You know, the, the launch of a new Coldplay album versus the introduction of Tiny Temper to the World or Laura Marling or the relaunch or the getting a new record from Duran Duran and Robbie Williams to be as successful as 10 years ago. There were so many different challenges, but they were all very similar in construct. Um, actually, I think that's what made me think, yeah, this is, this is what I'm good at. I'm good at getting businesses to work better that really enable creativity to thrive. And Andrea, as you were as you were talking there, my mind was just full of visualizations of of both the environments, but the artists and the world, and it almost felt like it. I could almost kind of see see the world through your eyes for that moment as you were describing it, and uh, yeah, really magical in terms of some of those environments that you've you've been in and thrived in. It's just it's it's quite remarkable, really, and and I you know the, the phrase that you used before was when you talked about chaotic environments. And it's clear that it's almost sometimes maybe best where you thrive is when you actually get into those chaotic environments and, and perhaps add that level of structure and inspiration for the team and, and create that enablement maybe where it wasn't there before. And it just really feels like that's kind of where your passion point really yeah. sits. It's just really Peter, cool. That great quote from Peter Drucker about um, culture eats strategy for breakfast, I think um is somewhere in my psyche um because i the culture I, I mean i really saw it at the bbc john burt had the most brilliant strategy and vision for the bbc but the culture was killing some of the execution of that strategy and what greg dyke did was bring that to life and make the changes happen that enabled the bbc to really energize into that next step. And I think um, he was a great role model too. Um, uh, but I think that that really did teach me something about you need to paint a picture. As a, as a business person, I think I need to paint the picture of where we're going and why and enable everybody to feel that they understand what their role is and they understand that they are a critical part of this. You know, um, at Capital Radio, um, Courtney was the security guard at the door and Capital Radio was my first MD role. Um, and that was the role I learned more about your presence is more important than just your thinking. And, you know, I was a great believer in action speak louder than words, but as, as an MD at Capital Radio, the way I walked in the door and spoke to Courtney in the morning um, influenced the way that whole building worked that day. Because if you've got a sense of confidence and purpose about you and you enable everybody else to feel like that, the whole culture lifts. Um, I did, a, a, did an away day at EMI once to bring that to life because they were all feeling quite trodden down um they uh, I, I got an actor 
to come in and walk through a door 20 times, saying exactly the same words 20 times. And he just said, hello, my name is Manish. That was it. That's all he said. But he delivered it 20 different ways. And that 30 minutes that he spent doing that brought that to life for everybody in the senior leadership team in a way that I I don't think I could have, it doesn't matter how much you say, sometimes you have to show people. Um, uh, So I really do believe that culture is an enabler of performance business. Um, I, I really, really believe that if you can enable everyone to reach their best potential, then you reach the best business potential. Um, so I am. Uh, I do put a lot of effort into how do you energize, motivate, give really clear direction to your team um, to enable the business to um, continue to fly. So I do think you're right. That that mixture of my role is about enabling everybody else, and rather than. I'm the one with all the bright ideas. I'm the one with all of the clarity. I'm, I'm not the most numerical. I'm not the one with, that's going to crack the tech innovation, but I can help pull it together and give people really clear direction. Um, brilliant. And, and uh, what a lovely exercise just to demonstrate the power of words through, through Manish. Um, so we, I just want to go one further on culture. Um, John Amici defines culture as the worst behavior that's tolerated or the, the worst that people get away with. Yeah. So, so that, and when we did touch on bullying before, what are your red lines around culture and behavior that isn't tolerated? How do you deal I, with it? I have um, two really clear principles about honesty and fairness. Um, and again, the BBC was a pretty good learning ground on um, fairness and honesty because of the journalistic uh, uh, red line that runs through the whole organisation there. Um, and whether as a woman, I always felt fairness was the best way to present my position when I wanted um, to be considered. Um, and I felt it was a slightly male-dominated area. I mean, I've only really worked in male-dominated areas, and therefore, if you're slightly lacking in self-confidence and you don't want to say I'm the best, and you know, actually talking about fairness for me was a really easy way of saying, why not? Why not me? Why? Why shouldn't I be paid the same? Why shouldn't? Is this fair? So fairness and honesty are really key lines for me that um, I live through during COVID and during the massive transformation TAG went through. um, I did town halls every week for uh, sometimes 1,500 people in India, across Europe, um, in the UK, and answered any question that was thrown at me. Um, And I I think I was at Capital Radio when 9-11 happened. I was at Magic when when the London bus um, bombings occurred. Um, And I think those two examples taught me um, at times of 
massive pressure for a business. You need to be really clear and you need to tell people as much as you can at all times. Um, So close management, not micromanaging, but closer management because people worry and you want to stop people worrying. Um, And and so that they were the exercises that I put into place. So um, I don't put up with lying. I don't uh, put up with an a what, what would you call it when it's not quite the truth, but it's not a lie. Um, uh, I I expect people to be accountable if they say they're going to do something, do it. Um, I I like trusting people and empowering them but they have to earn that trust. Um, I think I, th- I think because I've been involved now in so many turnarounds and re-energizing businesses, I'm much more, I'm, I'm a leader that is also very in the detail. That's not to micromanage, but that is to refocus because sometimes you need to correct a course of action as soon as you see it, rather than let it drift and hope people get back because you don't have time. Um, and when you're turning around a business, I, I mean, again, I'm a, I'm a believer that people wake up in the morning and want to do a great job. They will copy good behavior. They will copy success. Um, people want to follow success. So there's no point in letting people drift work out that they're wrong, spend six months doing it, and then feel bad about it. Help them redirect as soon as you can see it. So I think I, I think people would say I'm, um, I'm tough but fair. But I think sometimes uh, what surprises people is I, I will course correct quite quickly. I, you know, I'm not um, – I, I don't beat around the bush, I guess. Andrea, you know, you, you, you talk about those two key principles, fairness, honesty, and they're not to be taken for granted because I, earlier on in my career, I had a, an experience where we actually tried to do that and we actually put up a, a TV sort of board where anybody could pitch any questions they want anonymously and it just sat there in a public forum on the floor. And the senior leaders within four weeks had taken it down because of the uncomfortable questions that were pitched on there. This is, this is no other lie. This is true. This is an environment that I was in before. So there you go, right? It, it's absolutely not to be taken for granted that, you know, you can sit in those town halls and just go, hey, throw them at me, right? Um, and and, and be, be, you know, be up for that. Um, can I pick up on one thing that you, 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 taught, you touched on earlier on? Because I think this is, this is quite, quite interesting. Around... You talked about sort of chaotic environments and the need to actually perhaps be in that type of mode in order to catch up and perhaps leak, leapfrog your peers, which you've eventually, I'm sure, gone on to do. Um, and, and to that extent, I find that fascinating because actually, you know, anybody who takes the normal role in their career is unlikely to then have a meteoric career because effectively, you know, you're going to, uh, linearity does not then lead to exponential. And I just want to maybe dwell on that for a second and, and think about, um, you know, some of the ways that you put yourself into those uncomfortable positions, which then, of course, landed you into a more exponential position than you perhaps would have been had you taken the linear path. Yeah, I, I, I had a 
great sixth form at a school called Seven Oaks, which um, had the most amazing extracurricular activities. It had the most amazing theatre director. It had the most amazing photography studios. I was in the RAF cadets. As a result, I was very distracted from study. My A-levels were not the greatest, and my degree, I was not at Cambridge with Lindsay Clay at university. I was at the poly, you know. I was not the most academic student. And um, when I went into retail, um, a lot of my friends were in the city. They were lawyers. Um, my boyfriend was at McKinsey's and at Stanford doing his MBA. And I suddenly realized that I needed to get going. So I did not want to be stuck in a peer group that I felt was three years younger than me because I'd done three years in retail. And I also decided I wanted to do an MBA. And um, when I went to the BBC, I quite, once I decided I could be a success at the BBC, I talked to Tony Hall, I talked to um, Jenny Abramsky and Sue Far about getting onto what was the BBC's MBA sponsor scheme. And um, it was really hard work. It was three years of long distance learning with three weeks up at Bradford University. Um, during that, I think during that time, I got engaged, moved house twice, had a baby. Um, and did the MBA in that three years. Um, and I, every term, I thought, I'm not going to be able to continue. Um, and every term, I managed to get through it. And that, getting the MBA, having got pretty poor academic results, if you look at my CV, it's not a great high-profile academic CV, really enabled me to move from marketing into general management. I'm not sure from paper, um, I would have got the interview from David Mansfield to go and be managing director of Capital Radio without having an MBA. I, I don't know that's true, but I think it enabled me to start having the conversations. So I have a lot to thank the BBC for. Yeah, um, wow, that, that, that sounds hard, that MBA period. I <laughs> envy you for that. Now, Andrew, we've talked a lot about the, the past in your journey. Um, I'm going to springboard us into the future for, for a very specific reason. Richie and I were at the marketing group of Great Britain dinner on Wednesday evening, I think it was. And, and Raoul Powell spoke, who's leading light in Web3 and NFTs. He got a little bit of a hostile reaction, actually. So some of the questions were... Um, you know, a bit confrontational. And, and, and the underlying of it was perhaps amongst many senior marketers, maybe a lack of understanding, but also a little bit of a fear of change. Now, you're, you are embedded in a media landscape that's going crazy. So my question is sort of kind of around, you know, maybe a bit about what you think Web3 and NFTs and all that brings to the media landscape for you and your clients but more, more, more generally, how, how do you kind of keep that curiosity and project into a future to lead your business to a, to a destination? Okay, there's an awful lot in that simple little Yeah, question. sorry, this is a bit overloaded, but you'll get it. 
Um, okay, so first of all, I think um, change is really hard. Um, and it's really hard unless the people at the top really want it. Because in big organizations, again, people wake up in the morning wanting to do a good job. And when you're asking them to change and they're not confident about change, actually, they just worry about doing a bad job. And I think um, it doesn't matter how much um, the right direction is to go left <laughs> or introduce a new tech module which should enable. People are scared of doing it and getting it wrong. And because the business results, you know, uh, the business results might falter. This campaign, if I do it this way versus this way, may not win. And therefore, I won't get the same return on investment in marketing. I think sometimes leaders need to package up and really understand the, 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 the comfort areas of change for the teams better. Um, because people are really nervous of change. And I look at what tech can enable um, businesses to do now. But you really do need to set it up to succeed, to dis do the right discovery sessions and to onboard it properly and to give everybody time to change and time to change in their head, not just the functional part of it. Um, so I think if I could paint a magic, you know, if I could wave the magic wand now, I would say I would love all marketers to be less scared of change. But in order to do that, I think the businesses need to give them space and the pressures on businesses at the moment because of economic environments, because of supply chain logistics, everything is squeezed to such an extent. Um, I, I have a belief, you know, that um, the quarterly um, shareholder PLC driven agendas do prevent long-term innovation. And, you know, you look at a lot of the private family companies that came out of the Second World War in Germany and how fast they grew because they took a much longer term vision. So I do think I'm not very good at doing the lipstick on pig turnaround. I'm really proud of the changes that we brought into the BBC, the, the changes that I launched at EMI, the changes that we're introducing into TAG, because it does make them fit for the future. The changes at Centaur for the lawyer to make it not a trade mag, but a business intelligence pro, uh, digital product. We're about really setting it up for the future. But you need a series of quick wins, in my experience. You need to show people that change isn't going to create problems because that's why most people are scared of it. So I look at the metaverse and I have no idea, actually, how it's going to be adopted. And no nobody does, right? We don't know whether it will really work for some businesses. It'll really work for individuals. We don't know yet. But explore, be curious, um, enable your teams to play. And who knows what will happen? So I think the pressure comes from the business pressure. Um, and, and, and that's why people don't want to let their teams down. I mean super insightful in terms of 
how we should try not just about it's not just about on the ground on the feet it's in the mind changes in the mind as much as it is and nurturing that and leaders do need to and i do agree with you by the way i think this whole quarterly pressure um as it's now been sort of coined um is unhelpful to that and i think it is actually putting you know even the most senior people into a box and kind of going well i've got no wiggle room to do anything different because i've got to kind of conform to this sort of you know trajectory that that uh, i'm on for for not my you know, it's not my gift to change yes and for leaders what's really important therefore is you need to create the right ambition and the right understanding of your stakeholders shareholders so that they are not just thinking about next quarter Yes. They are thinking about three years, at least three years, right? You can't, I don't think you can guess what the world is going to be like in five years' time, right? But you can look out further than one quarter. Um, and certainly I think um, being lucky enough to have worked on the turnarounds that I have worked on, um, painting that picture of what it could be like and continually driving to that, that that sunny that sunny that 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 hilltop with the sunshine on it where everyone's very happy and continually pushing there so that the challenges are just hurdles that you have to get through rather than each one is the milestone that's you know a big issue um yeah. i think is, is 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 really important for all leaders to get their heads around oh gosh i agree um Andrew, I think we're coming to the, the end of our time. Um, it just sort of absolutely whizzes by. So perhaps um, if I can pitch out the last question um, and then we can do some reflections. Um, you've, you've clearly had, I mean, you know, the, the hat-trick CEO role, which is incredible for certainly, you know, when thinking about some of the ways that you've been able to come up uh, through, through your career as well. And I just would love to get a sense from you as to what's, what's still on the cards to do. Do you want to go for the fourth and the fifth and the sixth, or how does that then play out? What's where do you think? And I've never, I have, to be honest, I have never had clarity about what next. I, I, I mean, I've never gone for the CEO job. It's just I've ended up in in this role. Um, I, I, I don't care about scale. Actually, I think looking after Centaur, which was a small. FTSE um, PLC was much, much harder because you don't have the wriggle room than looking after a, a much bigger PLC. So for me, um, scale isn't the issue. It's the challenge of change and enabling. So I, I want to continue to work with great minds. I love the great ideas and how you connect them with business. I think um, I will, I think I'm good at enabling businesses to get better. So I don't know in what environment it'll be. I hope it'll be in a creative business. I really, in love, I really, really love. And I think, again, I, I think I've proved myself in terms of enabling businesses to use digital, use tech to really enable them. So I'm not scared of it. I'm not a developer, but I'm not scared of it. I can um, see how that works. So I don't know what it'll be. I don't really care if it's large or small, as long as I feel that I am offering value to others and um, enabling some great idea, some great creative to reach their dreams. Wonderful. Amazing adventures still yet to be 
Great hope so. Hope so. Yeah. yeah, no, it's been it's been fabulous, Andrea. I, I, I'm going to do my best to try and pull out some key themes, but we've covered a lot. It's fair to say. But um, no, we, we started by talking about uh, you see yourself as a, a motivator, a team motivator, and, and critical to that being humility and enablement. Um, we also heard about the philosophy of continuous improvement from broadcasting. I never really thought about it like that, but you know, it's it's the ultimate in agile. We all talk about two week sprints, but not sort of three second sprints. Um, we then went, heard quite a bit about your drive um, and the fact that you use your imposter syndrome, syndrome to drive you. Um, and that, that sense of uh, you're only as good as your last job. I can see how that's really, you know, that's really kept you on your game all the way through. Uh, we talked about culture um, and Drucker's famous quote, but also the, your point about presence. And I, I love the fact that Courtney was, you know, you recall that and, the, the exercise we managed to demonstrate the power of presence and words. Um, we've also heard a lot about your resilience and, and uh, you know, bouncing back from the fact that the, your job had gone, you found out when the letter hit the doormat, um, or, or through that MBA period. Uh, what I found really intriguing was your point about confidence and being afraid to fail through change and uh, linking then some of those previous things through to how do you encourage uh, a culture of play or confidence through change. Andrew, so much advice and wisdom. In the end, I come back to what Lindsay said. You do have a calm authority with a sense of steel, hint of steel. Uh, it's been a fascinating insight. I think our audience will take a huge amount out of it from your life's journey. Uh, and uh, I wish you every success for the future. But over to you, Richie. But thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Mark. Andrea, honestly, I've been truly inspired by the session. I mean, you know, even, even from the moment on relatability where starting in at retail myself and then being able to kind of, you know, as you say, carve the carve your way through those chaotic environments to then reach where you have is really inspiring. And it's just, it's brilliant to hear uh, the journey that you've, you've been on. And, and as Mark said, so many great things to take away and to, to learn from. I certainly have, and, you know, rest assured, actually leaving this conversation, I've got a few things I need to reflect on myself, quite frankly. Um, which I will be doing uh, just to think about how I can make those tweaks to culture, to change, to leadership, what it really means and all those things. So it's just been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that this morning. Well, you've made it very enjoyable. I was worried when Mark said he'd been talking to Lindsay that I was going to be really up, <laughs> up against it. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you again, Andrea. Brilliant. Thank you.